Good afternoon to you all. Now we're on to chapter 9, Sex, Gender, and Culture. Uh, and here are the major topics that we're going to go through in this chapter, uh, gender concepts and how to separate uh, sex from gender, uh, differences in uh, physique and physiology uh, between males and females, gender roles, what sort of activities uh, that men and women typically do cross-culturally, uh, and then relative contributions to work. Here again, talking about the division of labor, uh, political leadership and warfare, where men have historically uh, dominated. There's another form of uh, patriarchy, which is uh, universal, occurs in all cultures, although I would argue in modern day cultures, uh, patriarchy is um, uh, uh, much, uh, much less than it has been in most of human history. Uh, the relative status of women, uh, their ability to uh, be political leaders, uh, economic uh, agents, and things of that nature. Some personality differences between men and women, and also differences in sexuality. Um, here we talk about gender differences referred to cultural expectations and experiences of males and females. And sex differences refer to purely biological differences. So here we're talking about size, um, differences in physiology, uh, hormonal uh, profiles, and clearly sex and gender differences uh, interact. Uh, gender is, you know, basically uh, what one culture expects of men uh, and, and women. And of course, we could also talk about what cultures expect of older and younger uh, people as well. And so uh, understand, you know, the, this kind of interaction as the textbook goes through, uh, differentiating uh, or talking about the interaction between sex differences and gender differences in a whole slew of uh, various uh, facets of life. Um, point out, uh, you know, humans are sexually dimorphic. Um, the males and females of our species are generally of different sizes and appearance. Uh, men have, for example, a greater muscle mass. Um, you know, with, if you compare males and females in identical height, Males always have more uh, muscle mass, females more fat. Uh, and it's important to note that our dimorphism has changed through evolutionary time. And the reason I point this out is that if you look at um, species that are heavily uh, sexually dimorphic, uh, then you tend to see a certain kind of mating system uh, that is um, polygynous. That is, a male controls many females and denies access to those females from other males uh, as the differences between uh, the uh, sexes um, diminish, then you find out that monogamy becomes uh, much, much more common, uh, and both males and females are involved in uh, the rearing and care of, uh, of offspring. And so this is a kind of major human uh, change that has occurred from, for example, our closest uh, ancestors, uh, chimpanzee. So we've kind of moved in this direction of a kind of family kind of organization uh, that uh, is typically monogamous, although there's plenty of polygyny, as, as you already know, uh, cross-culturally, and as you'll learn a little bit further on uh, in some of the chapters on marriage. Uh, <clears throat> all or nearly all societies assign certain activities to females and other activities to males. The classical one, you know, man the hunter, woman the gatherers. If we look at foraging societies, we find that um, uh, men do the uh, do the hunting. Uh, women do the the gathering. Uh, they do. Women also do a lot of domestic activities. Uh, and um, 
we'll get into the you know kind of uh, division of labor in the next couple of slides. So these gender roles refer to role assignments for males and females that are product of a particular culture, and they um, not only you know refer to economic activities, but they talk about you know political, religious, and other kinds of activities. These are all kind of uh, gender role activities that we'll explore um, in the coming slides. Uh, here's a kind of um, uh, look at from your, your textbook, uh, this table or version of this table is on uh, t um, page 211 in your text, and look at you know primary, secondary, uh, and other um, economic activities. And you know males almost always, males usually, then females, or either both, uh, excuse me, females usually and females uh, almost always. So these are the uh, columns here. Uh, and, you know, for example, care for infants, uh, it is, um, uh, although males do engage in some forms of direct care, uh, they do it um, very little compared to females. Uh, but what they also uh, do is they bring home food that uh, the mother distributes to the, uh, to the children. So these are, you know, some of the economic activities that we can look at uh, and the uh, division of labor by, by gender or sex. Um, so why do we have this kind of division of labor? Um, the text goes through three different um, theories. Uh, I think probably the, the best theory, uh, the, the theory that uh, best accords with, with what we see, is compatibility with child care activities. That means that women uh, can are limited um, in terms of what they do economically by the requirements of uh, close uh, child care. Uh, given women do uh, nearly all the direct child care, and that if you look at human history, um, on average, uh, women would have six to eight uh, live births. Uh, so most of the reproductive careers are either pregnant or nursing for children. Uh, and I think this is a, a pretty good theory. Uh, the idea here is that uh, you wouldn't want to do any kind of activities uh, for example, like hunting that would endanger a child or chopping down large trees and things of that nature. The thing that I think really makes me appreciate this model, uh, developed by Judith uh, Brown, um, is that it um, gives us a, an explanation of what's going on today, in that today women are beginning to engage in activities that were either monopolized uh, by men or dominated by men, and we see that fading away. And as that fades away, uh, we see uh, the fact that um, fertility for women, you know, only one to two um, uh, children, you know, during their lifetime, as opposed to six or eight, that they've been essentially been freed from uh, the requirements of childcare uh, activities. So, in my mind, this is probably the best model. But learn about the expendability theory and the strength theory. Think strength theory does have some uh, merit to it, but I think this is probably the best theory that we have to understand either. Uh, historically, uh, in terms of you know what men and women have done uh, in the division of labor and the current changes that are uh, going on today, of course, laws make a difference. Uh, and uh, but uh, you know, I think that these laws largely became enacted as women began to uh, bear fewer and fewer children. Um, and if we look at contributions to work. Uh, we can distinguish between primary subsistence activities and secondary subsistence activities. And here we're talking about, you know, uh, food. Uh, so gathering, hunting, fishing, herding, and farming. Um, 
if you look at the literature, um, women can engage in a lot of gathering. They also can get, engage in a lot of farming, uh, hunting, uh, rarely so, fishing uh, sometimes, uh, herding uh, hardly ever. Uh, you know, for example, if you look at pastoral nomads, uh, men have to take um, uh, herds out into distant uh, pastures away from their, their homestead. They're gone for um, days, weeks, even months at a time. And again, this is an activity done by uh, men, uh, much more than women. Uh, secondary subsistence activities, these are essentially activities that we call domestic activities. They're done around the house. And again, uh, women tend to dominate in the uh, secondary subsistence uh, activity sphere of uh, economic production. Um, we can look at overall work and we can look at subsistence work. And um, uh, here is something that uh, I published some time ago in 1989 and looked at different kinds of economic formations. And what we have are foragers or hunters and gatherers, Amazonians like the, um, the Anamamo described in the text and a group that I study, New Guineans also mentioned in the text. And as we're moving up here, we're kind of moving from you know, hunting and gathering to early forms of agriculture to intensive forms of agriculture to um, Western urban life. And if you look at the number of hours per day worked, uh, females in every economic formation, uh, except for um, hunter-gatherers, uh, work more uh, than males. As we move, you see the dark bars are uh, longer than the um, 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 hatch bars. And uh, so uh, what, what this really doesn't indicate um, uh, is, is the activities of child care. Uh, for example, uh, we would not consider, I think most people, uh, changing a dirty diaper as a leisure time activity. That's work. And much of child care is work. But these figures don't include um, that kind of activity. And so if you were to include uh, those activities that revolve around child care, uh, the male-female differences would be even greater with females working much more uh, than all and I would argue probably pushes them to uh, work more than men uh, in uh, even uh, foraging societies. So in general, um, and, and you might think about this in the modern context, uh, if you have a two-income family um, and you have children, uh, you find out that even if both of the uh, partners work um, 40 hours a week, uh, the bulk of the child care activities uh, fall on, on, on the mother, on the female in the partnership. Uh, and, and so this, uh, you know, is still true today, I would argue. Um, political leadership and warfare. And again, here we have, you know, patriarchy. We're talking about sexual inequality uh, in relationship to uh, politics. In almost every known society, men rather than women are the leaders uh, in the political uh, arena. And then warfare is almost exclusively a male uh, activity. Now, there's a highlight in your text that talks about women in combat. Uh, but if you read it closely, um, they, uh, in, in a number of societies, they will go out on raiding parties, but they don't raid. Uh, they'll stay behind and um, keep camp, repair weapons, uh, retrieve arrows, things of that nature. So they're essentially support troops, if you will, and they typically aren't engaged ever. Uh, in direct hand-to-hand -hand combat. Of course, that is changing today, uh, as noted uh, in that highlight on, on women in terms of modern arms. But by and large, uh, they um, uh, are in support activities. And if you look at a modern army, about uh, for every uh, person on the front line fighting, there's about nine people supporting 
uh, that individual. Uh, and uh, the support is really important, uh, but again, uh, it's uh, women tend to be in those support uh, activities, although sometimes uh, they're allowed to go out on patrols and uh, bring firearms and things of that nature, but still it's an activity dominated by men. Um, <clears throat> the relative status of women, uh, there appears to be variation in the degree of gender stratification from one society to another. That's true. Uh, they state that less complex societies, however, seem to approach more equal status for males and females in a variety of areas of life. Um, this is really a, a difficult uh, proposition to, uh, to test. Uh, my read of the literature suggests that um, there's no uh, clear relationship between social complexity uh, and uh, the degree to which uh, there's equality between men and women. However, I will now, and you see this in the highlight uh, in, in your text, uh, that uh, in, in very modern societies, I think the um, differences in inequality have been much diminished uh, compared to what went on uh, in the past. And uh, although there is not uh, equality, even um, in uh, you know, U.S., North American, um, and, and, and Western European, or especially Northern European uh, nations, there's quite a bit of equality. Uh, there's still uh, inequality with males at the top. And so I would argue that today uh, we see more equality than we ever have before, even though we have some uh, ways to go. Um, <clears throat> there's some personality differences. Uh, boy tends to be, boys tend to be more aggressive. This is true in every society. And if even if you start measuring aggression at, say, at age two, uh, boys are more uh, aggressive uh, than girls. And these differences uh, begin to accentuate as boys become uh, physically mature. Uh, girls tend to be more responsible, nurturing, and helpful. Uh, that is, they are put to work uh, earlier than boys in, in helping around the house and nurturing. Uh, they're much more interested uh, in caring for um, uh, their younger siblings. Uh, and uh, so these are kind of like you know, some basic personality differences. There are more been dominated by uh, personality psychologists that they're growing aren't mentioned too much in this uh, in this chapter, uh, but in advanced courses in anthropology, we bring in uh, personality psychology and explore some of the differences between males and females in terms of um, their basic uh, uh, personality traits, such as introversion versus extroversion, and the <clears throat> other four major components of uh, personality. Um, some personality differences and misconceptions about differences in behavior. Um, the Sixth Culture Study Project uh, cast doubt on some beliefs about gender differences in the area of dependency, sociability, and passivity. And uh, one of the researchers uh, in this, um, or two of the researchers actually, um, in this project were Mel and Carol Ember, uh, the authors of your, your textbook. And what we have here is, uh, you know, basically psychological research showed kind of uh, major differences between males and females, uh, especially children, in terms of uh, dependency, sociability, and passivity, but is based on our understanding of what goes on in uh, Western nations. Uh, but if you look at um, non-Western people, then these sorts of things uh, begin to break down. And I would argue that uh, an area that is really rich for study is the area of cross-cultural psychology, uh, which uh, uh, tries to kind of look at our beliefs about psychological differences between men and, and women are, or psychological differences overall 
and um, compare them to uh, what goes on in the rest of the world, and we're finding that um, what goes on in Western European nations uh, isn't by any means uh, universal. Um, <clears throat> sexuality, uh, cultural regulations of sexuality, and we talked about uh, premarital sex, sex and marriage, extramarital sex, and homosexuality. Um, there's a kind of major problem in the discussion of homosexuality, especially if you look at their discussion of so-called homosexuality in, um, uh, in, in, in New Guinea. Uh, and what we have to do is separate behavior, uh, that is same-sex behavior, from sexual orientation. So behavior has to do with, you know, male-male uh, sexuality. Orientation, on the other hand, has to do with sexuality combined with what is your object of uh, sexual desire. And we found out, um, although there may, in, in, in a number of cases, be male same-sex behavior, it really has nothing to do with sexual desire. It has to do with um, all sorts of situations where males are forced, for example, in initiation ceremonies, to engage in same-sex behavior, even though they don't have any motivation uh, or desire uh, towards a same-sex um, um, uh, orientation overall. In fact, um, after they get through the initiations, they get married and, and have um, um, uh, to, to females and have sexual relations with them. Um, <clears throat> we examined this in a, a paper called Is Male Androphilia, that is male uh, orientation towards other uh, males with an eye towards sexuality uh, as a context um, dependent cross-cultural universal. If you want to read it, you can go here, click on this link. Uh, and I think we get a much more um, psychologically accurate uh, understanding of the um, presence of, of uh, same-sex behavior, like actually homosexual orientation or androphilia, as it's known cross-culturally. And one of our findings was that it's much more common uh, than uh, one uh, would, uh, would expect, given the previous cross-cultural surveys. Um, cultural regulations of sexuality, permissiveness versus restrictiveness. And basically, this research has shown that societies that are restrictive with one aspect of heterosexual sex, such as premarital uh, heterosexual sex, tend to be uh, restrictive with regard to other aspects, for example, uh, extramarital sex or sex within uh, marriage. So um, if, uh, you know, there's no kind of problem uh, with premarital sex in a particular society, then extramarital sex uh, also is less harshly uh, punished, although uh, it is a concern um, uh, universally, and so that's what uh, is meant for uh, about restrictiveness or non or permissiveness uh, in uh, the regulation of, of sexuality, and also uh, the kinds of sexual activities that can go on between husband and wife. Uh, there's some explanations that are um, uh, very weakly supported, uh, population size, social inequality, um, and, uh, you know, we still really don't uh, have a good clear picture, uh, although these are leading theories, I think that they're uh, relative, or hypotheses, I think they're relatively uh, weak and not really robustly uh, formulated, but, you know, take a look at that. It's a kind of interesting uh, problem um, on, you know, this issue of permissiveness versus restrictiveness in sexual behavior. Uh, here, finally, are some terms and concepts. Again, know the difference between sex and gender, uh, the, the various theories of the division of labor, 
regulation of sexuality as it relates to premarital, same-sex, etc. We've just gone over. And also male and female differences in sexuality, personality, aggression, and politics, and warfare. And so the kind of whole gamut, especially those things that have to do with what I would call uh, institutional differences. That is, um, you know, can women become political leaders? Can they become religious officials? Uh, can they uh, become uh, leaders uh, in combat uh, teams, uh, et cetera, et cetera? And so uh, these are, you know, the kinds of things you want to consider along with these sorts of other differences that have to do with physical differences between men and women and the fact uh, that women, as I'll argue, as I've argued on the division of labor, uh, given they have breasts, they nurse, uh, they're the primary um, caretakers of children. Uh, historically, this has really limited what they could do, especially in the economic sphere, but also perhaps uh, in other spheres of life as uh, well. One other thing um, I should also uh, point out in the area of uh, same-sex behavior, homosexuality, we know quite a bit uh, about um, male uh, homosexuality or androphilia cross-culturally, but very little about female uh, same-sex uh, behavior uh, cross-culturally, and it's an area that should be more intensively studied. Okay, that's it for Chapter 9.